we've been in the book of Philippians going through verse by verse, and today I want to shift gears a little bit. We're transitioning from chapter 2 to chapter 3, and today I'd like for us to take a look at, uh, you know, we've been talking about the theme in the book of Philippians. Joy and happiness are the theme of, of Philippians, one of the most joyful books in the Bible. Uh, but today I want to look at the purpose of the book. Uh, the theme of the book is joy. The purpose of the book is to give thanks. Now, this letter is a thank you note from Paul to the Philippians. He's thanking them for all that they've done for him, and he's letting them know that he's thanking God for them. Uh, first, uh, Philippians 1.3, uh, right in the first part of the book, Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. And so in this book, Paul is thanking the Philippians for three things. First, he says, I thank God for your ungrudging service. Philippians 2.17, your faith makes you offer your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. Philippians have been sacrificing to help and serve Paul and his missionary endeavors. And the sacrifices the Philippians have, been made, uh, have, made, have not been made grudgingly. Uh, they haven't reluctantly stepped up and made these sacrifices. They have done it willingly, freely, even joyfully. In fact, in Philippians 1, Paul says, For you have been given the privilege of serving Christ. Circle the word privilege. Not only by believing in Him, but also by suffering for Him. These sacrifices in serving and giving that they've made have actually been a privilege. Their, Their sacrifices have allowed them to enter into what the Bible calls the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. And that suffering, that sacrifice has taken them to a deeper level of joy. Number two, Paul says, I thank God for your unmatched witness. In Philippians 1.5, Paul says, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel from the first day you believed it until now. When Paul shared the gospel of Christ with the Philippians, they jumped into faith with an unmatched zeal. They prayed for Paul, they gave to Paul, they sacrificed for Paul, they cared for Paul like no other church did. Paul had planted a string of churches from Jerusalem uh, all the way to Rome, but the church that supported him the most faithfully was in Philippi. Paul says no other church did this. No other church sacrificed, gave, served like Philippi. They were unmatched in their witness, in their commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. They caught the vision for what Jesus had said in Matthew 24. He said, let's read this out loud together. Jesus said, this gospel of God's kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The Philippians caught the vision for that. They realized when Jesus said that, he meant it. And they understood that if the gospel of God's kingdom was going to be preached to the whole earth and to all nations, they needed to help. They needed to participate in it. And so they did. Next he says, I thank God for your unselfish generosity. That's the whole point of this letter. They had been generous and had given to help him. He says, how grateful I am and how I praise the Lord that you are helping again. I know you've always been anxious to give what you could, but for a while you didn't have the chance. As you well know, when I first brought the gospel to you and then went on my way, leaving Macedonia, only you Philippians became my partners in giving. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent support more than once. The Philippians were generous people. They dug deep into their own resources and gave sacrificially because they understood the importance. They understood the need. They caught the vision for reaching the world for Christ. And they felt the joy of giving and serving. So Paul writes to them and he says, I thank God and I thank you. 
for ungrudging service, unmatched witness, and unselfish generosity. And I just want to tell you today, as the the pastor of Rockbrook, I, I thank God for you for the very same things. And I want to thank you. I mean, these things are true of the church in Philippi. They're true of you as well. You folks serve ungrudgingly. And I never cease to be amazed at the servants' hearts around here. You folks clean and scrub toilets and set up chairs and mow lawn and vacuum and paint and work with kids and work with teens and volunteer like crazy. And you do it willingly. You do it cheerfully. Smile. Many of you work one, worship one. Many of you do that over two days. You come on Saturday night and you come on Sunday morning as well. It's ungrudging service. And I thank God for you and I thank you for that. I thank God for your unmatched witness. I've been doing something in the services. I want, I want to try this here. How many of you heard about Rockbrook from someone else? I mean, you came here because someone invited you to come. Put your hands way up. Let's take a look at it. You heard about it from somebody else. See, look at that. This church is growing because of the unmatched witness of the people who are here. You're sharing Jesus Christ with people, and they're coming, and they're responding. And I thank God for that. I thank you for participating. In, and if we're going to reach the whole world, we've got to reach here, too. And you're helping to do that. I thank God for your unselfish generosity. You support our church's ministries. You support our mission's endeavors. Your support is tremendous. Most of you faithfully tithe here at Rockbrook. Tithing is the norm, not the exception around here. Most of you give over and above your tithe to help special projects like our India pastors and and the projects that we do in the Philippines. This Taklaban 2 that we've come up with. We're going to send a team over to the... Uh, city of Taklaban to build houses. These are the houses, some of the houses that those people have pulled together out of the scraps from that typhoon. And they'll build those little shacks and 8, 10, 12 people will sleep in there every night. I mean, folks, I got a better house for my lawnmower. You probably do too. And yet, just as we demonstrate some unselfish generosity, as we help fulfill the great commandment and the great commission, as we serve ungrudgingly and step up and and make gifts to this project, God's going to do great things. And and I thank God and I thank you for your help and support on that. It's huge. makes a difference. Now I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk to you about the power of thankfulness in your life. There is a direct connection between your thankfulness and your joy. Thankful people are happy people. Unthankful people are unhappy people. There's a direct connection between thankfulness and joy. Remember, Paul is writing this letter, this joyful thank you letter, while he's in prison awaiting his execution. And Paul is joyful and thankful even in his darkest hour. How does he do that? More importantly, how can we do that? So let's take a look at why I can always thank God, even in bad times. You know, how do you be thankful if the doctor says it's cancer? How do you be thankful when the person you love the most says, I don't love you anymore, I'm out of here? How do you be thankful when you're laid off and 14 job interviews later, you still don't have a job? How do you be thankful when a loved one dies? But the Bible tells us part of God's will for your life is to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, remember, the key word there is in. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. God doesn't expect you to be grateful for everything. But the Bible does give us five things we can always be grateful for, even in the bad times. So what are they? Number one, I can always be thankful for the grace God shows me 
Your very life is a gift of God's grace. The air you're breathing right now is a gift of God's grace. Your next heartbeat is a gift of God's grace. Every good and perfect gift, everything in your life, you owe to God. He gave you your mind, your sight, your voice, your heart. Everything in your life is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8, you have been saved by grace through faith. You did not save yourselves. It was a gift from God. We've been talking in this series about how you can be more joyful when you meditate, when you memorize Scripture. And I made the plea to you just to familiarize yourself with Scripture. If you can't memorize, at least familiarize yourself with it. Here's a great passage to familiarize yourself with, to meditate on this passage. It's Psalm 103. Let's read this out loud together. I will not forget the glorious things God does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with love. He fills my life with good things. He is merciful and tender toward those who don't deserve it. He is slow to get angry. He never bears a grudge. He has not punished us as we deserve for our sins. I mean, there's a passage that, you know, you need to wrap your mind around that one. And when you do, it'll make you thankful for the grace of God, and it'll increase your joy as a result. Number two, I can always be thankful for the plans God has for me. Now, it's very obvious that not everything that happens in life is good. A lot of things happen in life that are bad, that are painful, that are difficult. Uh, You know, life is tough. Life is hard. As a family, we have a little saying. We've been saying it for 37 years. Life is hard, sweetheart. And I'll tell you where that comes from. When when we had our our first child, Andrew, and uh, we were going to bring him home from the hospital, the hospital had a policy that they have to wheel you, the mom and the baby, in a wheelchair down to the parking garage to get in the car. And so we're waiting to go home with him, and and we're new parents and nervous and afraid we're going to break him or, you know, something bad's going to happen. And so we're waiting for this person to come with the wheelchair. And all of a sudden we hear this clunking and clanking and the door to the room is banged open with the wheelchair and it knocks into the tray table in there and it rolls across. And this lady steps in, a little lady about that tall named Leah Russell. Uh, She's a retired woman who volunteers as a candy striper at the hospital. So she's got on a little red and white pinstripe dress and her white hospital shoes. She pushes that wheelchair in there, spins it around, says to Katie, get in the chair, lady. And so Katie sits down on the chair, and she goes over to the bassinet, picks Andrew up, turns around, plops him right in Katie's lap. And we're like, oh, he's made out of glass, he'll break. And we take off down the hall, and man, she is going. And we get down to the, to the uh, area where the elevator is, and there's two big double doors in the elevator, and it opened, and she can tell that it's just about to close, and we're going to miss the elevator. So 20 feet away from the elevator, she goes... And then the wheelchair goes in, and the doors close on it, and they're bang, 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 bang on, on the door. So Katie has to get up with Andrew and reach around and push the door open button. And then she pushes the wheelchair in there and bangs it around on the wall. And we go down to the parking garage, and she rolls us out, out to the car. And just before she leaves, she bends over, pulls the little blanket away from Andrew's face, gets in his face, and says, Life's hard, sweetheart. She's right. I mean, not everything that happens in life feels good. Not everything that happens in your life is God's plan. 
That one will stop you. But don't blame God for your mistakes or for your bad choices. When we say that God has a plan for your life, that doesn't mean you're following it. That doesn't mean you're walking in it. I mean, you could be living outside of God's plan for your life your entire life. In fact, many, many, if not most people do. You have to choose to be in God's plan for your life. God himself says in Proverbs, there are many ways that seem right unto a man, but the ends are death. Because there's more than one plan out there. There's more than one path out there. You've got to choose to follow God's plan. The Bible says, I have good plans for you, says the Lord. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. Some people worship the God who causes all their suffering. I worship a God who bears all my suffering. Big difference. Isaiah says he was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sins was laid on him. Jesus took my suffering. He took my death on the cross. We have a God who doesn't watch us suffer callously. We have a God who suffers with us, for us. He takes our suffering on himself and he dies in our place. That's the plan of God. God doesn't plan our sins, either the ones you commit yourself or the ones others commit on you. God doesn't plan those things, but his plan is bigger. It's greater. It's fuller than all those things. God knows every stupid mistake you're going to make. He knows every stupid mistake everybody else is going to make. And his plan is big enough that he can take those things and fit it into the plan. No, it's not good. It's not what God had planned. It's not what God would have done. It's not what God wanted you to do. God says, I didn't want this for you. It wasn't part of the plan. You walked off and did your own thing. But guess what? My plan's big enough that I can fit it into into the plan. I can make it work out for your good if you'll give it to me. Imagine if we all got on a, on a ship, ship going from New York to London, and that ship is headed to London, but while you're on that ocean liner, you have a significant amount of freedom. You have free choices, limited choices, but you have choices that you can make. For instance, on that ship, you could eat at all seven buffets. Don't recommend it, but you could do it. Uh, you could play shuffleboard, you could swim in the pool, you could hit golf balls off the poop deck. You can sleep all the time. You, you could, any number of things you could choose to do on that ship. But no matter what you do on that ship, it's going to London. Nothing you do is going to change that. And it is the captain's job to get that ship to London, not your job. God has a plan for your life. And once you put your life in Christ's hand, it's not in your hands anymore. It's God's job to get you to heaven. I don't earn my salvation. It's a gift of God's grace. And and when I make the decision to believe in Christ, I put my life in his hands, then he's going to hold on for the rest of the cruise, no matter what happens. And when tragedy strikes, when your life falls apart, typical thing we do is we look for an explanation. We want to know why did this happen? How did this happen? But explanations don't bring comfort. Explanations don't really help you at all. I mean, if my wife or one of my kids or one of my grandkids died tomorrow and I knew exactly why, do you think that would take away the pain? No. It wouldn't reduce the pain. I mean, first of all, my brain's not big enough to even understand the why, to understand all that happens in the world. It's like an ant trying to understand the Internet. 
There are just a lot of things in life that we can't comprehend, even if they're explained to us, even if we know why and how. What you need in bad times is not an explanation. What you need is the presence of God. It's the presence of God that brings peace and eases the pain. Romans says to clothe yourself in the presence of Christ. Now, one of the reasons why I can always be thankful, even in my darkest days, is because of the promise of Romans 8, 28. God says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So no matter what I go through, God can bring good out of it. I can just rest in his plan. He loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections and bless the whole world with it. Do you ever think that maybe God wants to bless the world around you with the bad times that you're going through? Trust in his plan. Number three, I can be thankful for God's promise to never leave me. There's not a moment in your life that God isn't with you. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. There's not a moment in your life, not a situation you find yourself in. There's no depth of experience, no loss, no loneliness where we travel alone. God is always with us. He never leaves us. Sometimes we read verses and we go, okay, what's the catch? Where's the hook? Where's the fine print on this? It's like those commercials on TV for pharmaceutical drugs. You know, you watch those, it's a 30-second commercial. The ten, first 10 seconds, they tell you all the good uh, side of the drug, and then for the next 20 seconds, they tell you all the side effects. Okay? And, and it's always stuff like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, suicide, even death. And in the commercial, they show people swimming and walking and golfing, and they're playing Frisbee with their dog. They ought to show people trotting to the toilet, because that's really what's going on <laughs> when, you know, when you're taking that stuff. And there are benefits, but there are side effects. There's fine print. There's no fine print with God's promise to never leave you. None. God will never leave us, period. Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned up. It will not consume you. Now, I don't know what deep waters you're going through. I don't know what fires may be engulfing your life. I don't know which rivers of difficulty you're trying to cross. I mean, maybe a husband or wife or mother or father or a friend has walked out on you and you feel abandoned, you feel alone. Maybe your family's going through something and you think, man, we are just in this by ourselves. God is with you. He's promised he will never leave you or forsake you, and you can be thankful for that even in the bad times. Number four, I can be thankful for the changes God is making in me. I can be thankful for the changes that God is making in me. No matter what I go through, God can use it to change me for the better. Because God is not just with me, God is in me. He's working inside of me, changing me. Circumstances may be working against me, other people may be working against me, God is working in me. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. 2 Corinthians 3, as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. 
See, that's one of God's goals for us, is that we would become like Christ, that we would bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life, that we would be less like us and more like Him. God has given us a person to become. And and I'll admit, I'm not all I should be, but I'm not what I once was. And there's more to come. I mean, if you don't like me right now, just hang on because I'm getting better. And you can say it too. By God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. By God's grace, I am what I am. And by God's grace, I will be what I should be. Because God is working in me and changing me. And I can thank Him for that, even in the bad times. God does some of His greatest work in the bad times. Number five, I can always be thankful for the home that God has prepared for me. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what pain I experience, I can thank God that this is temporary. This won't last forever. I mean, I am so glad this life is not all there is. If this life is all there is, I I would be in ultimate despair. I mean, I'm grateful that there's more to life than the here and now. One day God is going to settle the score. He's going to balance the books, right all the wrongs. There is a judgment day. There is a heaven coming. Jesus said in John 14, I am going there, heaven. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you. You know how long he's been preparing that place? How long he's been preparing heaven? Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom, that's heaven, prepared for you since the creation of the world. He's been preparing heaven since the creation of the world. That's how long, that's a long time to be redecorating. Okay? And what's it going to be like? The Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible says you've never seen anything like it. You've never heard anything like it. You can't even imagine anything like it. I mean, most people have such a low concept of heaven. Television always shows heaven as just stark white. Just this. I mean, who do you think created color? Heaven's not going to be stark white. In heaven, there are going to be colors you haven't even seen yet. You're not going to sit in a robe with wings playing a harp on a cloud. And if that's heaven, I don't want to go there. Only thing that, that could make that worse is if we we're playing bagpipes and accordions. Okay? No. Well, where'd you get that idea of heaven? You know, that, it's not from the Bible. I mean, think about all the cool and beautiful things on this planet that God created. The sunrises, sunsets, the beaches, landscapes, forests, flowers, mountains. I mean, the earth is broken and it's an an awesome place. The the work is marred by sin and it's cool. I mean, think about a place where there's no sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no death. God created the earth in seven days. He's been working on heaven ever since. Imagine what that's going to be like. And we know in heaven we're going to be reunited with loved ones. <laughs> I have grandparents. I have parents I hope to see in heaven. I have a brother and a sister and two brothers that I've never met. I'm, the, I'm the, the youngest in my family and I had a sister and two brothers who died before I was born. I look forward to meeting them in heaven. I, I have friends that uh, I want to be reunited with in heaven. 
And God says that for those who love the Lord, it's going to be a tremendous reunion. I can't wait. In heaven, no more broken minds from mental illness, no more broken bodies that don't work right, no broken dreams, no broken hearts, no broken promises. Everything is whole. No death, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no suffering. Uh, We know in heaven, we're going to be rewarded. Uh, Jesus has promised, you'll be rewarded for your ungrudging service. You know, all this hard work that you do around here, the hard work you do for the kingdom, you're going to be rewarded for that. Jesus says the greatest ones are going to be the greatest servants. You'll be rewarded for your ungrudging service. You'll be rewarded for your unmatched witness. I mean, imagine getting into heaven and seeing people there that are there because you pointed them to Jesus Christ. And for this church, it'll be people from all over the world. People that you've never even met, don't even know. We'll be going, oh, you're from Rockbrook Church. You guys helped, helped us plant a church in North India. You guys helped us in the Philippines. And we came to faith in Christ. I mean, is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Because you pointed them there? What, what a great reward. You'll be rewarded for your unselfish generosity. Jesus said nobody gives up houses, land, family, goods, possessions. Nobody gives anything up that doesn't get paid back a hundredfold. I mean, any sacrificial giving you do here, you get there, boom, you're rewarded. I mean, it's going to be an awesome place. The Bible says in heaven we're going to be reassigned. You're not just going to sit around to do nothing. There's work to do. There's projects to do. But in heaven, there's no broken tools. There's no short supplies, no back orders, no defective parts. Your work will go smoothly, and you will enjoy it. So how do you get there? can't work for it, can't earn it, can't be good enough. You get into heaven by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, folks, if you didn't need a Savior, if you could do this on your own, God wouldn't have sent one. Why would God make Jesus Christ go through what he went through if you could do this on your own? But you can't. You need a Savior. And that's why God sent one. You get into heaven the only way you can get in. That's by trusting in the grace of God. Look at 1 Peter, 4, 1 Peter 1, 4. It says, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. God has reserved for his children. Not every person is a child of God. Every person is created by God. But the Bible says that, that it is through believing in Jesus Christ that we find the power to become the children of God. It's being born again into the family of God that makes you a child that has a place reserved for you in heaven. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in His mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting Him. So be truly glad. We're back to that joy thing again. Be truly glad. It's the job of the captain to get the ship into the harbor. It's not your job. It's God's job. And he will make sure that you get there safely. Now maybe you're here today and you've never settled this issue. If you've never settled this issue in your heart and mind, you need to do it right now because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed next week, next month, next year. You have no guarantees. And you want to settle this issue so you can be ready. And you can do that today. You can do it right now. Accept the grace and forgiveness of God in your life. Turn your life over to God. 
the one who made you. Let's pray together. If you haven't settled this issue, I'm just going to say a prayer right now, and I want you to pray it with me. Most important prayer you'll ever pray, it will determine your eternal destiny. And it starts when you recognize that God has done everything for you. You don't don't have to do anything except receive it by faith. And so would you just pray this prayer in the quietness of your own heart and mind? God God will hear you. Just say, dear God, first I want to confess my ungratefulness. Everything I have is a gift from you. And I don't express that gratitude often enough. I thank you that you have a good plan for my life. God, help me to find it, discover it, and live in it. I thank you you've promised to never leave me. I thank you that when people are working against me, you want to work in me. You want to bring me to be the person that you desire for me to be. And God, I thank you for the hope of heaven. You're preparing a home that you want me to be a part of. You have reserved a place for me. God, I want to show up and take that place. So would you just say, dear God, there's no way I can get into heaven on my own. I need a Savior. And so I ask Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sins. Show me your grace. Accept me into your family. I want to be your child. Today I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior and I turn my life over to him. May he be the captain that leads me safely home. I ask these things in Jesus' name.